to another episode of the Streaking the Lawn podcast. Once again, my name is Pierce, and once again, I've got Zach and Ben with me this evening. Fellas, how are you? Doing well. How are oh, you, Pierce? I'm doing well as well. Ben, you doing well? Could not be doing better. My Philadelphia Eagles set to play in the oh, NFC Championship no game. Cares, or should I say our Philadelphia Eagles? Ugh. Streaking Ugh. the lawns, Philadelphia Eagles. No, I quit. That's the end of the podcast, everyone. All right. No, we are not talking about that. Congrats. You beat the Giants at home. Good job. (laughs) And Uh, the Cowboys lost. That was pretty funny, actually. That final play was so funny. (laughs) Anyhow, this is a college basketball. (laughs) This is a college basketball podcast. We've got a lot of basketball to talk about, my friends. Yeah. For the Wahoos are back in their winning ways. They've won five in a row. That game against Wake Forest, of course, being their most recent victory on the road in an environment that kept being referred to on the telecast as hostile and loud, but you couldn't really tell because they were recording it on a Motorola Razor or something. <laughs> oh, that's a phone from back when phones were before you guys had phones. Um, with the cords? Yeah, with the cord, the rotary. Yeah. Um, yeah, Is that yeah. like the telegraph? On the, on the side of the street, <laughs> sort of. Anyhow, or who's like a pigeon. number seven in the poll, the poll, guys, the AP poll, number two in the conference. Looking good. I mean, you know, there's some significant changes, of course, that we'll get to, but even within the the ins and outs of those lineup decisions, it's it's nice to see some shots falling and some defense being played. And more than anything else, of course, it's nice to see W's continue to be uh, racked up for the Who's. So Zach, sort of an obvious answer, but uh, what what has gone really well for Virginia or changed to to lead this? Uh, turn of events for the who's this season yeah i mean so you know i think from like a a, a macro sort of uh perspective or, or, or viewpoint on this it's definitely hard to like evaluate this team in the national picture mm-hmm. just because the acc kind of sucks and that mm-hmm. those that baylor game like you know the depth of the acc is bad and the top of the conference is probably not um the top of some of the other or, or comparable to the top of other major conferences. Um, and, you know, Baylor is going to be a very good team. They're going to start winning games and that's going to look like a better win, but it's hard to evaluate all of this um, mm-hmm. in the ACC vacuum. That being said, you know, we talked about Tony Bennett making midseason adjustments. Tony Bennett doesn't typically change what he does very often. He's very set in his ways. He has three offensive wow. schemes. He has one defensive scheme that has, suffered not suffered but but oh gone through a couple of changes in the last three or four years i was not that expecting said, all this bennett slander to start off the podcast no 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 no, no. <laughs> this is not this is actually not slander because uh, i'm getting there but when he decides to change it up when he decides when he's like you know what this isn't working it it works like like when he decides to like make that adjustment somehow it it, it clicks like when he identifies that it's time everything starts going and that's what we've seen since that second half against North Carolina 
Um, that's why this is a five game winning streak. Obviously that Syracuse game um, was shaky and off the back of that Pittsburgh loss and just feeling generally kind of meh about the team. Um, that North Carolina first half mm. was not pretty, especially without Armando Baycott in. It felt like they should have, you know, UVA should be running away with this. This is not a good team um, without Baycott. This is not a good team without Nance, arguably, arguably UNC's two most valuable players. Um, and so, but he goes small. He goes small and they continue to play that triangle offense that they've been running since late December-ish. Um, and it works because Baycott's not in the game. UVA doesn't get punished on the defensive side of the ball. And all of a sudden we're realizing that this offense fits the personnel far better than sides ever did, or that even like a high ball screen set ever did because it's putting guys in the positions where they can succeed. Obviously like I had a 3000 word film breakdown on the site. If you want to go even deeper into it, Oof. but that's what a of... lot of reading. This is an audio reading. format. <laughs> no, yeah. Do me a favor. Um... Give, give the, the too long didn't read version for people listening who aren't maybe as yes. well versed on the nuances of these two schemes. What is the, what is the change and why is that better for these players? So starting with just the small ball lineup, right? Mm-hmm. Because, okay. So you, you, you have Reese Beekman, you have uh Hay Clark and Armand Franklin. Those are the, the sort of the core of this team. I think, I think those are arguably probably quite clearly the three most important players or, or the three best players leading scorer, and then the two point guards. Um, and then what we saw against UNC was you throw Isaac McNeely, you go super small with Franklin at the four, BVP at the five. That's changed a bit. They've had Gardner in there at the four. They've had um, Dunn in there at the four. And it's it's worked with similar success. And I'm sure we can get into the Dunn versus Gardner conversation. But that within the triangle offense, um, and for those who don't know what that is, it's what they ran against uh, Texas Tech in the national championship. Obviously, Jordan Sperber had the fantastic film breakdown um, a little while after that. It's what they ran a lot in that 2020-2021 season with Sam Hauser, Trey Murphy, and Jay Huff because they didn't have the backcourt then, even though it was Clark and Beekman, they just didn't have the scoring in the backcourt to really suit a side's offense, so they needed to get touches on the inside for Hauser, for Huff. They had Murphy on the outside as a scorer, and then they could sort of do things out of that. Um, That's what I mean. It focuses more on getting the ball. It focuses more on getting the ball inside, and – it's it's an interesting offense and and you know I, I think we referenced it in the last podcast we did at some point but um really where it finds its strength for this roster is the versatility because there's a lot of different things that you can do right. and it means that you have so you have these two guys on the wings who typically been um clark and at times beekman and then you have franklin bvp um and whoever that fifth guy is um and then you can throw those point guards in there as well and, and do different things with it. So it's multiple just in who the players are that you put in the scheme. There's also a lot that you can do within the scheme because you have those baseline drives for the guys on the wing because everyone in the middle of the defense is focused on those guys in the middle of the floor just because it's it's there's always screening, there's always picking, there's always cutting going on that keeps everyone occupied. They also have shooters in these small ball lineups because you have Ben Vanderklaas who can pop up to the top of the key and punish centers for staying in the paint and trying to stay home and, and be helpers. And so all of a sudden, by pulling the center out on in, onto the you know onto BVP outside, there's more space for everybody else. And, and all of this sort of fits together, and, and all the different space that's generated in different areas leads to more space elsewhere. 
Shooting cures all problems. We saw this against Wake Forest. Started 0 for 4 from 3 and then went 50% for the rest of the game. Like, you know, that's sort of, they're able to generate a lot of open shots. They're allowed to sort of get guys in the right spot. It really suits Armand Franklin. He's physical. He's athletic. He's getting where he wants and he's able to put his body into one guy and not worry about the help defender that's coming. He's able to take shots that aren't coming around a pin down screen because he's able to set his feet a little bit more. He can take a dribble mm-hmm. if he wants. He's he's more comfortable. Clark and Beekman, uh, I think they're, they're plenty comfortable in sides, but this makes sort of the decisions that they have to make a little bit simpler. And, and for two guys who are very smart, when you simplify those decisions, all of a sudden everything becomes easier for this offense. And so they've been able to negate any problems for this small ball lineup on defense and been able to garner a lot of production out of these small ball lineups in this specific scheme on offense. I hope I explained all that right. well No, that was thorough and very helpful. I think we can end the podcast again now. <laughs> but all that is to say that this success, um, you know, has led to a, a, a bit of a win streak here that still includes uh, plenty of ups and downs. So we can go in a lot of different directions with what to talk about with, but um, the, the the main draw for me has been letting the opponents be in the game <laughs> until the stretch. And, and there's some positive takeaways from that. Even, you know, obviously like, um, the, the kid at Wake who's hitting, you know, Ty Jerome three-pointers from, uh, that's the new Steph Curry three-pointer distance is the Ty Jerome uh, distance. Um, you know, obviously Tech was shooting lights out um, far better than they've ever shot before. And the Who's have shown resiliency, you know, the, the Who's, despite maybe being frustrating because they build a big lead and then lose a lot of that big lead, have closed out these games with some pretty disciplined play and some pretty spectacular one-off performances. So Ben, looking at this stretch of games, you know, what stands out to you amongst these players, uh, whether it be part of the new system or just, you know, stepping up? You know, Zach took a look at at a more macro level at the way Tony Bennett's changed the system as of late and sort of the way it's benefited these players. But I think it's also important to focus in on the players themselves for Mm -hmm. two reasons. Number one, I think, is that this systematic change has been, I would say, a net positive for this Virginia team. It does suit them as a whole, as a roster, better than running sides, uh, especially with such guard talent as Virginia has, but it isn't good for everybody. Uh, Two players in particular that have struggled as of late, almost as the team succeeds and credit to them for not like making an issue out of it. But like Jaden Gardner and Caden Chedrick are two guys who benefited significantly more from whatever the previous system was. Uh, Caden is a little bit of a, I don't know, strange case. And that I wouldn't say his issues are really to do with the offensive scheme as much as like just I no one really knows why he's sitting as much as he is. His stats are very good. He seems like a guy who could contribute and yet still like he makes those stupid errors sometimes that I think might be the reason why he's getting four or five minutes per game as a guy who started the first 10, 15 games of the season. Mm. Um, And then Gardner, of course, a guy who has been the offense for this team so much as just throw the ball to Jaden Gardner and let him do something. And there's still been some of that as of late. It really just hasn't been working, not as effectively as it is 
when it's more consistent. He struggled in particular, I thought, against Wake. He only played 20 minutes, uh, two of seven from the field, only five points. Uh, his plus minus was really, really bad in that game, which single game plus minus is wielded, but it definitely told the story of what was going on because they looked significantly better with Dunn out before. Um, but more generally, I think the overarching story for me is the guard play, which has been really, really, really good. Kihei Clark, Reese Beekman, and you can throw Armand Franklin in there. Easily, in my opinion, the best backcourt in the ACC. Probably up there for one of the best backcourts in the country if you're looking at college basketball players. I mean, in terms of NBA level, probably not the best backcourt. I'd take Baylor over Virginia. There are probably some teams out there with some future stars. But in terms of you need to win a college basketball game, you can have three guys from any team's backcourt. Being able to get those three and then also bring McNeely off the bench, there's just not much better guard play in college basketball. And so the overarching story for me has been also reflective of these wins down the stretch, because as Pierce said, these haven't all been like blowout victories end to end. I mean, none of them have been closer than seven points during this win streak, which is pretty (laughs) impressive in and of itself. But, like, there have been moments, uh, specifically against Wake Forest, where I think, Mm -hmm. like, looking at the box score just does not bear out how close that game was. With Reese Beekman and Kihei Clark being in foul trouble, it really felt unstable for a while there. But then being able to bring them back in with seven minutes left and four fouls each and have them not only play for the rest of the game, but also play effectively and, like, have some really good defensive stands, even while knowing, I mean, if this guard runs into us, we're getting our fifth foul and sitting on the bench for the rest of the game. And I guess like those have always been the keys in college basketball is to get old and to have really good guard play. And Virginia is old this year and Virginia seems to have really, really good guard play at a spot where I think there were some question marks coming into the season about Kihei's ceiling, about if Armand could ever become a consistent player, if McNeely would ever really be a contributor and if Reese could take another step. I think all of those players have come in above where we were expecting. And so it's taken what should have been a good unit into one of the best units in college basketball. And I think that's been maybe the main driver of this recent push. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what uh, future opponents dictate as far as this change, you know, are there going to be matchups that require more Caden minutes? And we don't know exactly why he's not getting those minutes, but uh, you know, we have our guesses and hunches from previous play, but just his size and skill set alone is going to be necessary against, I would think if Baycott had stayed healthy in the UNC game, you would have to have had more Caffaro and Caden. Uh, so Zach, looking at those individual performances, um, you know, what, what, what has stood out to you and, and what are your thoughts on Shedrick? I think with Caden, it's a string of things. Um, I think, you know, Ben pointed out sort of the dumb fouls and mistakes. He actually uh, was the first person to sort of put the the numbers to this together. But if you look at comparable bigs uh, to Caden Shedrick in recent years for UVA, you're probably talking about Mamadi Diakite, Jay Hoff, very different players from Caden, but sort of in terms of like they fouled early in their career, they redshirted their first season. Um, in their redshirt junior year, their fourth year with the program, that those foul numbers decreased meaningfully. Um, so for, I, I just, I put it in an article that went up this morning, but Jay Huff's, his fouls per 40 minutes went 5.3 his first year, 6.3 his second, 3.9 his third active year, which is what Caden is in, and then 3.8. Similarly, um, the Akite went 6.7, 5.6, and then 3.9, 2.4. Mm. Meanwhile, 
Caden is at six point, was at 6.8 his first year, 5.3 last year, but still 5.0. I know I threw a lot of numbers at, at everybody there, but basically he's still fouling at a very high rate that makes him borderline. He, he can't play 30 minutes a game. And that was something that I think we talked about as, as a key for this team. Can Caden be that consistent number one center for this, for this roster? Um, I also think on offense, in this triangle offense, he doesn't do a lot for you. He's a screener and he's a finisher. And I think that's sort of the extent of his game right now. He can't really hit that outside shot. He can't really even hit that mid-range shot that we thought maybe could be more part of his game this year. So he's not stretching the floor, which means he's not taking the center out of the middle of that defense or, or in the middle of the offense, rather, mm-hmm. uh, which means you can't get those baseline drives as easier, which means the help can be quicker from him. Yeah, you can dish it off to him, but with three guys in the middle of the floor, there's defenders there to help on the inside. Um, and so his sort of ability as a pick and roll guy who can roll to the hoop and finish really well and take some contact, it's not as valuable w- within this offense and sort of what he does well. He doesn't have a back to the basket game, so you can't throw it into him in the post really, like reliably, maybe once or twice a game, but but I don't know. It's not something that they've really gone to in high volume. So I think that the offense, it, it's it's both macro and micro. And I, I know we've basically said that three times now just in this podcast, <laughs> uh, but it's it's the bigger issues that he, he's not avoiding fouling. He's still sort of making the, the boneheaded mistakes that you'd expect of a guy in his second year with the program. And it's also just that his game does not fit what they're running right now. Pierce, as you pointed out, this team needs Caden Shedrick. Like they need him <laughs> to be able to play 20 minutes per game. Sure, That's just baseline um, against certain opponents. Can they dictate? Can they make other teams play small? Yes, but Clemson's not going to take P.J. Hall off the floor because UVA is going small. UNC is not going to take Baycott off the floor uh, because UVA is going small. So unless Ben Vanderplas can handle those guys, which maybe he can handle Hall, maybe with Baycott if you throw enough different sorts of coverages and defensive looks at him, um, you can get away with it. But I still think that that means Caden plays 15 because you can't rely on BVP to go up against Baycott for 30 plus minutes. I just don't think that that's sustainable. And yeah, that's one team, but it's, it's indicative of more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you need Kane to be playing more than five a game. He's just too talented. Like the stats are crazy. You know, he's very efficient. You know, he's a great weak side shot blocker. He's very disruptive on the perimeter when he isn't fouling, when he isn't doing the things that make him bad, he's elite. And and, and sort of like, that's the thing. (laughs) Me too. Yeah, but the answer or sort of like the um, what he truly is is somewhere in between. And he really just needs to negate those little things. Um, But it's schematic as well. And it's sort of like what they're trying to do right now. So it's all a balance of a lot of different things. I think he'll get back to playing more consistent minutes as the season progresses. Um, I think that they won't just go triangle for 40 minutes, which it's not like they've done that exactly. But it's been very, very heavy. I don't have the numbers on it, but it, they've done it a lot. They've relied on it. I don't think that they're going to be able to do that because I think teams are going to be able to throw different things at, at them. Okay. But it's going to be like, all right, we should go spread ball screen here with Caden at the five, or we should go back to sides a little bit more. I think there's going to be more of that um, with time. This isn't just going to be their offense for forever. Sure. Um, it could still be 65%, 70%, but it's not all of it. Um the front court is an interesting conversation to have because we all know that Ryan Dunn is a special talented player. He's probably has the highest ceiling or is most likely to reach a very high ceiling of this group, just because everybody else is so experienced right now. And that's not including Isaac Trout either, who, you know, we haven't seen play. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Don needs to continue to get heavy minutes, especially if Caden, you know, makes the mistakes that he has been making. I think that there's a case for Don to be starting at the four with Vanderplas. I think that that's realistic. I think that Don at the four gives you the defensive versatility and sort of the defensive oomph and the, and the rebounding that maybe Jane Gardner doesn't really. And if Jane Gardner's offensive output isn't enough in this scheme, in this offense, um, and you can even hide Ryan Dunn out on the wing, teams are respecting him from the outside. That could be an adjustment that opponents make because he is only four for 13 on the year. But mm-hmm. if he hits those shots, then why not play him at the four and leave him on the outside and say, okay, you're going to make one or two drives a game, get some put back dunks and, and, and take two threes. And if you make one, that's awesome. Um, that's reasonable. So I think that right now, probably UVA's best lineup is the backcourt, those three guards plus Don and Vanderplas. Well, um, and even if he doesn't start, I mean, he yeah. played the second most minutes on the team. Against right, right. Wade. Start right. can be, you know, just sort of like a silly, you know, whatever. But yeah, he should probably play the majority of the minutes at the four. Um, now, there are limitations to his game as well. There's limitations to everyone's game. But, you know, I, I think that's sort of where we're headed right now. Because I think that Jane Gardner, as we talked about before the season started, Jane Gardner, it, he, he needs to be the feature of the offense. You know, he needs to be sort of the guy. And when he's not, he's probably best used situationally and when you put him in the game then you can use him as a feature but i don't know if you can run him for 30 minutes within this offense within this scheme within with this personnel and count on him to be able to be complimentary for 30 minutes or or complimentary for 25 and the feature for five um Mm -hmm. so it's hard to sort of balance it all they've got a lot of good pieces they've got versatility that's a good thing and they've got the backcourt to make it work it's just a matter of can they put everything together and really be that sort of top five team that we think that they maybe can be at their best. All right. Raise your hand. If you thought when Beekman and Clark both picked up four fouls that Chase Coleman was coming in. Cause I did. Yeah. And instead they both raised their hands, everybody, just in case you're listening. I mean, you're listening, obviously no one else is watching this. Uh, <laughs> Instead, we saw McNeely. Uh, so I was a little surprised to see McNeely running the offense for just a few minutes. With, I mean, but substantial few minutes in a close game in the second half. Then McNeely's shot has obviously been a lot more comfortable for him. And maybe that has something to do with the spacing in the new offense or just, you know, growing as a player in his first season here. But can you talk a little more about McNeely and the growth we've seen from him specifically and what that's added to this team for this stretch you know it's been really encouraging to see him a guy who we watched shoot for those first eight nine ten games of the season and every time he shot it it looked like it was going in but Mm -hmm. his percentage was like below 30 percent and it just kept going in and out taking weird bounces sometimes and i think it started to get into his head a little bit especially near the end of that like extended almost slump to start the season where you'd see he'd be open on the three-point line and he'd be a little bit hesitant. Uh, And he might dribble in and take a mid-range jumper off the dribble, which is obviously a much worse shot for him. And I think there were some occasions, I can't remember specific instances, but where the coaching staff, you could see them like on the broadcast kind of getting on him, like shoot the ball, you're open, you're a good Mm -hmm. shooter. And ever since then, the shots have started to go in. He has been absolutely on fire for most of ACC play. His three-point percentage for the season is up around 41%, which is extremely, extremely good. Uh, And 
beyond that, he looks more comfortable. He's not a guy who's ever going to be a Reese Beekman level defender, obviously, because Reese has such like incredible gifts athletically in terms of quickness, in terms of how fast he can react, how fast he jumps passing lanes. Although we have seen some nice passing lane skills by McNeely. He had a nice yeah. one in that Wake Forest game. But he's a guy who works on that end, and he doesn't get kind of destroyed the way that we've seen in some first years come in and struggle with the Bennett defensive scheme. Now, part of that is playing the pack line in high school, but part of it is that he's a, re- he's a really smart player. And he's a guy, what's been no- most noticeable about McNeely, and then by extension done a little bit because they're both freshmen, is how much they don't look like freshmen when they're on the court recently. It's almost like they give – Tony Bennett, no reason to take them off the floor. They're not making silly mistakes. They're not mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. causing silly turnovers. They're not having silly defensive breakdowns. And with McNeely, just the fact that Bennett trusted him at all to run the point, which obviously I don't think you should read that much into because it was kind of an emergency, like all hands on deck situation where I don't think the coaching staff was prepared for the idea that these two guys who never foul are at like the bottom <laughs> of the conference and foul rate are both going to end up with four fouls in the same game. And we might have to think about bringing Chase Coleman in. But yeah, I do think it means something that they trusted him out there. And I'm not going to lie to you and say it looked pretty. I mean, <laughs> that lineup got beat up pretty bad. It felt like with them and it was only a matter of time before Wake pulled away, which is why it was good that. UVA brought Beekman and Kihei back in with seven minutes left. Obviously, Virginia pulls away and wins. But just the trust that's been afforded to him. He's even gotten to the basket a few times recently. I was getting annoyed on the broadcast uh, for the Wake game. Uh, I'm not sure who the commentator was, but they kept saying, oh, what are you doing on defense? All McNeely can do is shoot threes. Like, why are you helping off him? Like, that's his best skill by far right now. And it probably will be for his whole career. But it's not like he's a total zero driving to the basket. He's had some decent finishes. He can pass. He played point guard in high school. I mean, he's just a guy who's finally found his shooting touch at the Mm -hmm. same time. He's becoming a more complete player. And it's just been really fun to watch him go from, like, confidence issues, shot not falling, to this good, this quickly. Yeah. Zach, anything uh, you want to add? Yeah, I mean, I not not really. I mean, uh, McNeely, he had a weird – he still drops ball a little bit too much on his shot, but I can shut up about that now because he's shooting 42% on the year. So, like, <laughs> those are the things you criticize when the guy's missing and then he starts making and you just kind of, like, get to forget about them, which is nice. Um, he's only going to get better. He's, he's going to be great. I mean, he's going to be really, really good. He's hit more threes at this point in his career than Kyle Guy had. Um and he's better defensively than Kyle Guy. He's a more complete player than Kyle Guy. I'm not saying wow. that he's going to do what Kyle wow. Guy did, but Kyle Guy slander too. Oh my goodness! But but he could be, you know, the idealized version of Kyle Guy. Um, and you know, it's hard to project sort of like NBA stuff uh, for freshmen, especially six four freshmen who are you know guards, and that's relatively average, if not undersized, in the NBA, but. Um, you can't tell me that he doesn't have a chance because he's athletic. He's got hops. Like he's gonna dunk on somebody one of these days. Maybe it's next year. Maybe it's this year, and and everyone is just gonna flip because he can poster people. And yeah, he did that in Poca, West Virginia. But at some point, it, it's gonna hit college basketball um, and the ACC, and, and it's gonna be wild to watch. But I, I'm I'm excited about him. Um, not to. It's been encouraging that these two freshmen have 
I think, solidified themselves within the rotation. Dunn's role is still a little iffy, but I think that this, you know, he could play 30 minutes a game like he did against Wake and and be very good. Um, It's good to see that after a number of years of that not happening or not happening, you know, happening out of, excuse me, out of necessity rather than, you know, just them being good. Uh, And so that's awesome to see. And and it's good to see those two guys sort of cement themselves a little bit more. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's great. All right, so let's take a look at the schedule coming up for the Hoos to keep this a win streak going, uh, hopefully. They do host Boston College Saturday at uh, noon, and the next game's just a couple nights later on the road in the Carrier Dome, a rematch against Syracuse. Uh, they beat Syracuse by seven, but that was a one of those nervy, uh, I guess that started the winning streak after the pit game where they had a big lead, and then let it get to a little lead, and then won the game anyway. So uh, BC is not great, but Ben, you were saying earlier that uh, you know doesn't mean you you know, bet the house on on the Who's or 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 should we? You know, I mean, I figuratively, think they're win. we're not really. Gonna... I think they're going to win pretty easily. <laughs> um, I mean. Ken Palm House Virginia is 17 point favorites in this one. Like, come on. It's incredible. <laughs> it's at home. You're playing freaking Boston College. Boston College this year has losses to Maine, Tarleton State, and New Hampshire. Like, this is a terrible team. If Virginia, if it's anything less than like the first Georgia Tech game or the Syracuse game, where like they just smack them up by 20 at some point, I don't get that bothered by the games where like, like that first Syracuse game, you know, you're up 20, you let it get to 10, whatever. I think it, it was just because it was Syracuse. Like the, yeah. there's just some game in there. very yeah. quickly. <laughs> yeah. If that elite eight game had not happened, I think everyone would have forgotten about the Syracuse game already. I, I'm looking at the Ken Palm um, win probability right now for it. And it was never below 94.8% for Virginia in the second half. So it wasn't ever. Really a, he's out. a tech fan. The he robots know. We know. The robots don't know, man. <laughs> it did man. not feel that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. Boston College stinks. Um, okay. They can't do anything. Uh, if Virginia doesn't beat them pretty badly, it would be a disappointing performance, in my opinion. So apologies to Boston College. That may have been a little harsh, but um, I, they suck. They suck. Okay. The only teams okay. they could, they did beat Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. That's pretty embarrassing. Yeah, they I only mean, beat BC, Stonehill by seven. BC has three Stonehill. conference wins. I don't know what Stonehill is, uh, <laughs> but three teams only have one conference <laughs> win, and one team still hasn't. I mean, Louisville, you know, Louisville, Syracuse. Uh, <laughs> they recently had a a big road win in Atlanta, lost a close one uh, in Miami, and then they have home wins over the Hokies and the Irish. So. Nothing that like really sticks out that Syracuse has turned the corner, but I'll tell you, I mean, it's their, uh, I forget his name, the big guy uh, for them that is sort of the focal point of their team that Virginia just completely uh, took out of the game and made them, you know, the Girardi jump shooting show, which certainly Syracuse is capable of still excelling at, but I mean, should be two W's, right? Knock on wood. If it wasn't like, yeah, if it wasn't Bayheim in that zone, I would I would be more confident. Like, I don't know if if this team was coached by you know Mike Bray and was in Notre Dame uniforms, I wouldn't really give a crap. But just Syracuse, wow. you know, always scares me. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, like this schedule. So if you look at the next five games, I think going going four and one in that stretch, you go Boston College, Cuse, away at Tech. It's still away at Tech. Like even if you know you, yeah. you feel like you should handle them, it's still on yeah. the road. And that's no gimme. No. Um, and then home against NC State and Duke. If you can go four and one in that stretch, assuming you beat Boston College three and one in the following four game stretch, then you get Louisville on the road, but that's a home game. Notre Dame at home, and then Boston College <laughs> on the road. So that's like three wins. So then we're talking um, seven and one over that stretch, and then you hit the road against North Carolina home game against Clemson, those are going to probably define who wins the ACC regular season title. Mm -hmm. And then home against Louisville just to sort of, you know, pump the record up a little bit. So, you know, it's it's handling. Missing opponent after opponent here. I mean, it's (laughs) they're 296th in 10. No, I I know, I know. Do you think they win a conference game this year? They have 12 more chances. Yeah, yes. No, let me look at the schedule. Uh, Their best chance is going to be Georgia Tech at home. That yeah, because yeah, they don't, mm. they don't get to play Louisville. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, I would, t- I would bet the over on half. Wait, are they? Oh, yeah, half right. a win for Louisville in, in conference this year. So Ben, I, I seriously just looked for Louisville on Louisville's schedule. <laughs> I was like, wait, do they not? <laughs> I just forgot. Anyway. Yeah, I see what you're saying, Zach. I mean, um, you know, the who should be favored in all, but on the road at UNC. Uh, yeah, which is know. how Ken Palm has it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, Clemson is going to be a t- tough game. You never know what Duke. Nope, we disagree. Uh, ben and I have, Ben and I are not Clemson believers. They're frauds. Okay. okay. The, the, well, tell me the Giants, when the Giants were 6-1. and one. Yes, that's exactly what we're looking at right now. <laughs> that's the comparison here. They they cannot win away from home. If this was in Little John, maybe I'd be I'd be talking differently. They lost okay. on the road against South Carolina, two hundred forty fourth in Ken Palm. They lost on the road against no, sorry, neutral against Loyola Chicago, and then they lost on the road against Wake Forest. They're undefeated at home. All of their losses have come away from home. I think this is a good team. I think that they're a benefactor of well, I think that they're good relative to the ACC this year, and I think they're a benefactor of how mid the ACC is this season yeah okay they beat NC State by 12 at home like they're they're a good team but I think that this UVA team at their best at in whatever late February that game is that that, that's that's a win like it's so you're saying max max two more losses I'm not saying max I'm saying that they should have they'll lose to UNC on the road and maybe to Tech on the road but other than that they shouldn't lose anymore. Okay. Speaking of beneficiaries of things, Virginia got pretty lucky with the schedule this year because Definitely. Clemson and Duke are shaping up to be their two biggest competitors for the ACC title right now. Sorry, Pitt. Um, well, Miami's and, still right there, especially yeah, Miami, with that tiebreaker. Yeah. Miami's, Miami's very good. But uh, with Clemson and Duke both at the top of like that contender list, both teams that are way better at home than on the road. And Virginia doesn't have to go on the road to play either. We get them both yeah. at home, which nice bit of good fortune for the who's there. I should add, they could lose to Duke at home. I should throw that out there before. They could lose any of these games, except maybe the Louisville ones. Could. <laughs> I'm not saying they will. I'm not sure. Notre Dame at home. Like home Mike Notre Dame. Okay. I don't know Notre okay. Dame's okay. on the sideline. Notre Dame scares me. <laughs> See, 
Notre Dame scares me the way Virginia or Florida State scared me earlier in the season. Where, like, Notre Dame's bad, but, like, they're not really bad, are they? Yeah, they're really bad. I don't think FSU is as bad as Notre Dame. Anyhow. Man, the bottom of the ACC dodged a bullet this year by having Louisville be as terrible as they are. Because if they were not, like, the worst Power 6 team in recent history, I think, like, Boston College, Notre Dame, Florida State would be getting a lot more flack for just how awful they are well and look at this like you know josh passner still has a job <laughs> they're, they're one and eight like <laughs> he's just hanging on to that acc tourney that's, what? that's gonna give that that's gonna well, keep he's his, like patrick ewing it's gonna keep his job alive for like 10 years just right. watch. yeah and i mean the Hokies are you know already rumbling about their coach coming off an acc tournament title and Mike i get young. why i would be frustrated too for sure Especially because, you know, you win that tournament title and you say, okay, there's something to build on and it just clearly is falling apart. But there's always a Luma. We'll see. All right. Well, that is the look at the schedule. But of course, plenty of games yet to be played. We're going to like lose a couple and come back and be like, it's good. I don't know. But I think, you know, writing's on the wall that this is a team that is definitely competing for the ACC title should uh, find their way to uh, that double buy in the ACC tournament and nationally top teams keep losing. So they're still in the conversation uh, for sure, for some real strong seating in March. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's crazy to me that they don't play Clemson for more than a month. Like that's how much we still have left to play. So sort of uh, no need to get into the, the March talk, I guess, but it's bubble season. It's resume building season. We're, we're, we're looking good in those regards. So until then, we'll be back, uh, I'm sure, with some football staff news and uh, some, uh, updates on other sports if we, you know, get bored of talking about uh, the men's basketball team. But until then, uh, keep it locked to streakingalon.com for some pre-Boston College breakdown and, of course, analysis after the game. Uh, and we'll talk to you all next week. So for everybody at the blog, I'm Pierce. Go who's.